0: welcome to manager tools results and retention our 10th anniversary cast part one here we go mark you're going to tell us today what it means to be a great manager and a great manager is an effective manager well uh, why don't you do it you're a great manager (laughs) yeah Yeah, but i just don't i just don't know what i do i just i don't know what makes me great (laughs) i I don't know i I don't know um
1: yeah, and this is our 10th anniversary cast. I'm, I'm thrilled we've gotten here. And we're going to do something a little bit special this time uh, in that we have over 900 casts, or close to right around 900, I think, casts over the last 10 years, specifically about how to do things as a manager, uh, how to have one-on-ones, how to talk about performance, how to coach, how to develop, um, how to have difficult conversations when you're direct is rude, what to do to help a direct get promoted, um, many, many casts on the details of management. And this cast is the first in a an on, what will be an ongoing series about first principles. We've just added first principles as a node, if you will, in our map of the universe, which is a... Place on our website where you can go and look by category at all all of our casts, um, all of our guidance about management and about careers. And um, First Principles is designed to help managers understand not just what to do, but also why you're doing it. The underlying principles that drive management, that drive careers that no one learns. Uh, People get careers, people become managers, and nobody takes you aside and says, hey, listen, you really have to go to this three-day course where we explain the basics. In the same way that before you learned calculus, they taught you algebra. You just have to have algebra for calculus. It's just the opposite in managing careers. You don't have to be taught anything in order to move to the next level. And for far too many of us, Mike and I included, we had to learn these things the hard way. Uh, and we don't want you to have to go through that the way we did, so that's why first
0: principles exist. And we're excited. Yeah, me too. I, I, this is this is awesome. So let's let's get to it. What are we going to talk yeah. about today? So first of all, we're going to define
1: what an effective manager is, and then we're going to dig into the two key things that make an effective manager great. An effective manager is one who achieves results while retaining their team members so a manager's first responsibility is to get results and so many things happen because of that Uh, it's sad to think that managers don't know that and then unfortunately if we tell managers and we did many years ago all you have to do is get results bad things happen and so now we measure a second thing In order to be a break on the first thing and therefore a manager's second responsibility
0: is to retain his or her team members yeah you got to get great results and you have to retain the people that are helping you to get those results right exactly yep cool okay so managers first responsibility is to get results Um, so you know my people love me yeah there you go yeah that's (laughs) the classic right look guys Everything in management ultimately
1: comes back to this first principle. The role of a manager is to achieve the results the organization expects of her and her team. All other managerial rules, guidelines, protocols, policies, principles, stem from this first principle. You cannot achieve greatness as a manager or in a managerial career without decisions and behaviors that lead to the results that you're responsible for. And it's easy to not know that because there are a lot of roles in our world where there are many small things that go into one's overall success, right? You don't have to be good at all of the things in a particular role necessarily to be considered good in the role. But when you're managing other people in an organization, and of course there are many things to do, accomplishing your primary objectives is the paramount measure of success. If you're not careful and you don't know what those things are, you're going to spend a lot of time being frustrated by saying, why don't I get more credit for being a good manager? When in fact, you may be doing a lot of things, you know, but you're not actually accomplishing the things that the organization
0: considers most important. Right. So tell me more about Results And I, I jokingly referred to, you know, my people love me as somehow that would be uh, a result that managers are responsible for. And we joked a little bit about it, folks. So clearly that's not the case. Right. Um, so tell me, what what are the results um, that an organization demands of its managers? Well, they're very different depending upon the manager.
1: Basically, results are outcomes that the organization needs from that manager and his or her directs to allow it to aggregate that work with with other people's work, which further allows it to create whatever it delivers in the form of products and or services to the society it serves. Large organizations are widely considered by sociologists to be the greatest achievement of mankind. Our ability to aggregate, to congregate, to collaborate, and to magnify what one person can do Believe me, a 1,000-person company can do a lot more, maybe 10x or 100x more than what a 1,000 individuals can do in certain things, not in everything, but in certain things. And it is ultimately the responsibility of the manager to ensure that things are being done that allow the organization to say, yes, you gave us the thing we needed in this fast puzzle that the organization is that allowed us to produce something for society. And sometimes I'll say that's why uh, it bothers me when organizations are pilloried the way they are in political or cultural discussions because organizations have made our lives infinitely easier and really smart executives understand that an organization is the product of and the servant of society. That's why organizations exist. But I said earlier, You know managers have different outcomes virtually every manager is going to have a different outcome or a different result a legal manager might be measured based on cost incurred per you know every action they have or you know an average of that or on the number of patents granted based on the activities of his team people sort of joke about sales i wouldn't want to go in sales and yet sales have the easiest and perhaps i'd say this guy's most important responsibility in an organization, a sales manager would likely be measured on total sales of his team, always easy one, right? Or maybe on the margins that those sales delivered. A production manager might be measured on total output of widgets or flanges or whatever, and on perhaps quality measures associated with those widgets, or percentage uptime of the equipment in her portion of the assembly process. The manager who does not achieve the results that are expected of him cannot substitute other claims to success or achievement in order to justify being considered effective. If you're a manager and you do many other things well, but you don't achieve those key results that the organization expects of you, you're not an effective manager. And that's painful to hear, I'm sure. And we're going to talk in a minute about the fact that in some ways it's not your fault. But now you know it, it makes things way easier. Now look, many managers attempt to argue that I did this other stuff, and that should be a balance against the fact that I haven't performed well in my primary metrics. And I know, Mike, this is what you were alluding to. The classic example of this is the manager who may not achieve results, but whose team loves her. She's well-liked across the organization. She just has that gift she serves on committees, she volunteers to help other people, she has a presence in the industry the organization operates in, and she represents the company in the community um, that she lives or works in.
0: And she does it well, right? <laughs> she oh, does it well. yeah.
1: And and the company says, wow, we're thrilled to have her doing that. And all of those other efforts are admirable. They help the organization. They send the right message about collaboration, communication, and boundarylessness, but Guys, as hard as it is to say, somebody has to say the hard things without primary results. Those are the things are window dressing. And for many managers today, what they say is, but I like doing those things. And unfortunately, in some ways, the organization is a, is a heartless creature in, in a way it is because you don't get paid to do what you like. The organization doesn't know what you like and, frankly, doesn't care what you like. The organization will be thrilled if what you like doing is delivering primary results, <laughs> right, if, in fact, it had a heart. And ultimately, the organization, of course, is the managers and executives and employees of the organization. But you don't get paid to do what you like. That's often why people say, "Don't you know, don't talk to me about your passion. Talk to me about your results. And then, of course, smart people go, find a job where your results
0: are your passion, and you'll probably do just fine. What about the manager who achieves your results and does all those things you described? Well, that's a unicorn.
1: I'm kidding. That's the beginning of an executive, right? That's the beginning of someone who's an organizational example. With the understanding that doing both of those things, all the volunteering and, and having a team that loves you and so on, that's secondary. That's wonderful to have. But the organization would be okay if you didn't. Maybe because all you like to do in your spare time is read, but if all you do in your spare time is read, and you deliver primary results, the organization finds you delightful. And look, we love the person who does other things that expands upon their remit. But the other efforts alone cannot stand as substitutes for results, which are all of our. If you're a manager, are they're, they're your managerial compass. And look. Let's be clear. Many of you listening right now are going, geez, this is rough. I don't, you know, I don't feel good about this. I'm not, I'm not aligned with this. Um, and of course, that's why we're doing this. But to your credit, it may very well not be your fault. The biggest problem with managers relative to the first principle is that the vast majority of us can't say with clarity what our primary objectives or expected results are supposed to be. Our manager never sat down with us and said, here are the three things. You're going to have 50 that you're going to feel like you need to do, but here are the three things that you're going to live and die by.
0: Right. And that's primarily the responsibility of the manager's manager, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in fact, many of our, you know,
1: hundreds of thousands of listeners, uh, I think we're up to 1.2 million downloads a month now. Many of them have said, okay, I've done the manager thing. I need the executive thing. I want executive tools. We haven't found the bandwidth to do that yet, but part of being an executive would be learning that when you become a director, which is to say the first line manager of managers, the first thing you have to do is sit down with your directs and say, here is what your key results are. And for many, many people, that's a very hard thing to do. I wanna go into some underlying principles or related principles to this first principle for just a minute. For any individual in a typical organization, their manager represents the organization to them. When the manager says something to a direct, the manager speaks for the organization, okay? This is, in fact, the very nature, the very heart of what we call role power. The way the company actually speaks to an individual is by empowering that individual's manager to speak for it. They give them the authority to speak for it. And and that's in part because the organization doesn't actually exist, Um, but here at Manager Tools folks, I promise you we'll never have existential discussions. So one of the most important jobs of any manager is defining clearly for their directs what results are expected of the direct. Every manager in the organization has a manager I had somebody argue with me about this the other day when I was telling about this cast. And they said, well, no, no, the CEO doesn't have a, a manager. I said, sure, sure she does, right? Hers is the board of directors or, or the chairman, right? But regardless, everybody has a manager. The manager's manager is obligated to define clearly, here are the results I expect of you. Or these are the criteria by which I will measure you. Without this guidance about results, about criteria from a manager's own manager, Most people realize they have a choice, right? If I don't know what my primary objectives are, well, I I can kind of, you know, I, I have choices. The problem is the choices are not good. They don't like either option. The first choice in a situation where your boss doesn't give you your clear objectives is to think carefully about your role and decide what your key results should be. This takes judgment and, um, Judgment is an indispensable part of managing well. The problem with that, for most of us, is the danger of being wrong. You say to yourself, well, okay, I can sit and think about it, but what if I choose A, B, and C? And my boss, he's relatively distant from me. He doesn't communicate much with me throughout the year. He says, as long as things are fine and you're not in trouble, we don't need to talk. Then comes to, you in, in, to me in December and says, I did poorly because... Horseman, you said you were going to do A, B, and C, but the boss actually would have preferred I did X, Y, and Z. And so, believe it or not, guys, even though when I said it in the beginning of this that you know the first thing you should do is decide what your key results should be, most of you said, "Yeah, yeah, I get that." Almost no one does this because most managers mistakenly believe that other managers know what they're doing and they personally don't. I know far too many managers that I've said, Well, what do you think you should do? And they said, Well, I think I should do these three things. I said, Well that's right. It's absolutely your responsibility. You need to come up with plans to get there. And they said, Oh, well god, I'm I'm surprised I didn't you know, Mark, I've always felt that I really didn't know what I'm doing. And I you know, I know I see these other people working hard and I assume kind of, you know, they know what they're doing. I'm like, no, they don't know what they're doing either.
0: You just don't get inside their head where they're Questioning and doubting and being concerned all the time if you're a new listener and you think that every manager out there Thinks they know what they're doing. (laughs) You are vastly mistaken Yeah, or if you
1: think they are not in fear almost every day of what they don't know you're mistaken Yeah, Um, and what's sad about it is when you start thinking about you realize wow They went through this and they didn't take me aside and say okay here are the three five seven ten things I would have done differently back in the beginning and why that doesn't happen. I don't know but it's an opportunity for Manager Tools, and that's why Mike and I and the rest of our team are here. But look, the second choice you can make is highly preferred. This is what almost everyone does, and it's more ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's worse because what we, what we would tell you is your fear about being wrong is way overblown. You're going to be right far more often. You're going to be wrong. Okay? So the second choice is not knowing what to do. You try to do everything, even though you know you won't do it well because you'll be spread too thin. And you're hoping that you get evaluated based on your level of effort, just like that manager we talked about a few minutes ago who doesn't achieve her primary objectives but is doing a bunch of other things. You want to be evaluated on your hours worked and your busyness. You want to send off an aura of activity. But this choice is literally the touting of activity over accomplishment. And guys, there are well-worn ways to do this. Many people in the organization are doing it. The classic example in my mind is a manager who hates email while constantly doing it. And folks, if you do something constantly of your own volition, you don't hate it. So that's the sort of the state of management is around, around your primary results. Either you choose or you just get real busy and far too many of us are getting just busy rather than saying okay what do i need to do and we'd like to suggest that there are two steps you can take to address the situation where you don't know what your primary responsibilities are and it's very simple really first guys think about your role think about your team's roles And because this is so important and because we don't want this to be a three hour cast, we'll come back to this theme and dig into more details on each of these points in future guidance. But sit down, think about what your responsibility is, where you fit in, what your team does, what their skills are, where you fit in the organization and create a draft of what you think people's roles are. And then therefore, what their responsibilities are. And then therefore, related to that, okay, what should our results be and for the record there are probably no more than five if that now the first time you do it you're probably going to end up with a good deal more than five you're going to end up with 10 or more and you may not be wrong that those are all responsibilities but remember we're not simply listing any or all responsibilities we are choosing the most important ones so with that longer list Go back through and rank them top to bottom. I would say if you had ten, rank them one to ten. But I know it's been my experience. Mike and I have this experience all the time. Which one's four and which one's five and so on. It's hard. And so if a numerical ranking eludes you, consider putting
0: your results in bands. They're like A, B, C, or something like that. Right here, are my yeah, exactly. Here are my A priorities, B priorities, C priorities. Yeah. So you end up with three
1: roughly equal. You don't want to make a distinction between 8 and 9 and 10, so they're all C, for instance. And look, if you can't even seem to do that in terms of three bands, just split them into first and second tier, A and B. And and the way I always used to do that, is I, was com- I would compare number one to number five. And, and by the way, I'm just looking at them in order, not number one is most important. I would compare one to five and I would put one above the other one, and I would move it, and then I would compare two to six, and then I would compare five to three and four to five. And over and over again, the ones that were in the top half would overall win the argument more often, and over a period of time, they would gradually source themselves out into top half and bottom half. And the whole point of this discussion, the numerical ranking, the list, the bands, whatever, the outcome you want is to decide what the results in the top group or band would be and those are the ones you would consider your key results. Again, if there are much more than five, you're probably thinking either too generically or you're not trusting yourself to have some judgment and make a decision. Because if you have 12, you're not gonna be able to focus enough in order to really make a difference on those 12.
0: Now I notice you didn't start off by saying step one would be to go ask your boss what her priorities are for you that that yeah you, you're suggesting the manager do that but are you you suggesting that the that the manager shouldn't check with her boss about no no the, okay yeah
1: but here's the thing years ago 20 years ago I got asked this question from a, I want to say a, a vice president may have been a senior vice president no it was probably just a vice president and I said look we you know you don't have anybody who knows what they're supposed to be doing it was things weren't going well and in the organization I was consulting to him and I and I said look, we need to have some discussions about what responsibilities are. So well, that's easy. I'll just tell my top guys, and they'll roll it all down. I said, yeah, that's good. And in fact, he did. And to his credit, he admitted uh, I should have done this years ago. But at the same time, I said, you need to start teaching your managers how to do what you now take for granted that you can do. And so let's start having them have that conversation. And I didn't tell him that the directs should do the work themselves and then go to the boss with something. What happened was we said, OK, let's have a couple of meetings over the course of three months with everybody and let's get everybody in alignment about what goals are and let's have a couple of your guys at your team look at everybody's work and say, how does this all fit? Are we necessary and sufficient here and so on? Well, it, it, the first step didn't work because directs went to their managers and basically said, OK, I'm going to open my head, pour my stuff in. And it wasn't that the manager didn't have good ideas about what the direct did, but if the direct didn't do some thinking about it first, and when I say direct, I mean, of course, managers, the direct manager, the subordinate manager, wasn't really a useful counterpart, counterparty in the discussion. And so we learned that always have the subordinate think about it first, so that when the their manager says, well, I think it's this and this and this, then there can be a discussion because the manager, the direct, the subordinate, has some place to start with um, because far too many managers are so far down in the weeds or doing so many things, they rarely think about the big picture. So, yeah, I totally agree that you sit down, you come up with a draft, and you take that draft to your boss and ask for her or his analysis or blessing. And hopefully he or she will share some useful insight, right? That would be the goal. And look, guys, if your boss doesn't give you much to work with, it's time to decide whether you want to trust your own judgment or just do what everyone else does, which is to say steal time from your family and stay very busy. And really what this question boils down to, it's one of those it's one of those sort of acid test questions in a managerial's career choices, which is, do you want to seek success or do you want to avoid failure? Most managers avoid failure, don't choose, work really hard, create stress in their family, and essentially are constantly having anxiety in their head, a free-floating anxiety about what the amount of time they take away from their spouse and their children. And there is a different path, and it is to seek success, and that is communicate with your boss about it. Make sure you're in alignment, but decide what your key priorities are and then work primarily, in fact, almost exclusively if you ask the very best managers on those key results, not the things the organization would love for you to do,
0: but the things the organization expects of you, which probably one, two, three, four things at most. Okay. Well, we spent about 30 minutes talking about this. How about if we conclude next week with um, talking about retention, retaining team members? Okay. That's great. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And we have a lot more (laughs) if you liked it. We'll see you next week. Meantime, have a great one, folks. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every
1: single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face as a manager or professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.